Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's show is about how the power of sound and binaural beats can affect the brain and the nervous system. We'll be featuring our guest, Elizabeth Krasnoff, who is currently working towards her doctorate in transformative studies with a focus in consciousness studies at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Her inquiry is into the influence of sound on the brain and the nervous system, specifically as it regards to binaural beats. In 2015, she became a certified energy healer through the Academy of Intuition Medicine Master Certification Program and received her sound healing and therapy certificate from the Globe Institute. Elizabeth has been a singer-songwriter for 18 years, releasing seven studio albums. She's also half-deaf from childhood, resulting in years of personal study of sound, hearing, and the human voice. She also presents on sound and consciousness at venues such as the Yale Divinity School, CIIS, CIHS, the Academy of Intuition Medicine, the Globe Sound Healing Conference, and many others. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth. It is my great pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm really thrilled that you are putting all of this great information out there. So can you tell us, Elizabeth, what exactly is the science of sound and sound healing? Oh, okay. Uh, So sound healing, okay, let's start with, let's start with sound healing. This is the definition that uh, I work with, and it is used by David Gibson, where I certified as a sound healer at the Globe Institute in San Francisco. And he says that sound healing is the educated and conscious use of the energy of sound to reach identified goals and promote wellness in the human system, including the expansion of consciousness. And um, the second part of this definition is that sound healing is founded on the premise that all matter is vibrating at specific frequencies. Now, the reason why that's important is that if you can identify the frequencies, either scientifically or intuitively, you can work with them and get them to where you want to go. Can you tell us what is it, what does frequency actually mean? I think for people maybe who are new to this uh, definition. Do you mind explaining what what frequencies mean? Yeah, I feel like we need to do a couple of definitions here. So um, if that's okay, I'm going to start with vibration. Okay. Yeah. Um, So a vibration, we hear that that term a lot. And um, essentially, vibration is an oscillation. And the word oscillation means a movement back and and forth across a midpoint. So if you can imagine a goalpost, like on any sports field, and then send the ball back and forth between the two poles of the goalpost, that's an oscillation. And that's the basic movement of all vibration here on this planet. Air vibrates, water vibrates, light vibrates. Uh, electrical energy vibrates, everything vibrates. So you can consider that information. And that's the basic informational units that everything in this world 
is made up of. So um, frequency is how fast that vibration moves, right? And we measure that in hertz, which means cycles per second. So a slow-moving vibration has a low frequency, and a fast-moving vibration has a high frequency. Uh, Energy is the fastest vibration. That's the highest energy. Um, Then if you were going to talk about rhythms, right? Then we're going to talk about beats and rhythms and music and all that good stuff. Those are basically patterns of oscillations in time, repeating patterns, right? Right. That's how you make a rhythm. And um, so to go back to our definition, now that we've done these definitions, we're using the educated and conscious use of the energy, right? The power of sound vibration to promote wellness, uh, including the expansion of consciousness. So um, I have so many questions after that definition. Um, so, you know, I think in, in your work, um, I imagine that you can, you know, check a person's frequency and I'm, you know, I'm curious on an an intuitive level level and also on a scientific level, um, as humans, we, we obviously have different frequencies. And so is there a way to, you know, I know we're going to dive into the, the healing power of sound, but I'm I'm curious just to understand where we are at a kind of set point. Um, can we check what our frequencies are as humans? Because I mean, I'll just you know kind of share my reflections. Um, I I frankly feel that certain people um, you know feel different to me uh, intuitively, right? And and rooms feel different to me, so. Um, so I'm just curious, do you, are you able to also measure a person's frequency? And if so, uh, how does that work? So that's a great question, Yasmin. Uh, when I answer questions, I, I want to be specific about whether I'm answering from scientific evidence, uh, experimental evidence, or intuition. Scientific evidence would be defined by, okay, this information has been repeated in a controlled experimental environment, a clinical environment. That's what we consider scientific information. Experimental means it's a theory and we're starting to see it. We're not entirely sure yet. And then intuitive means uh, we've gotten there just from using our inner, I call it the inner GPS. Some people call it the inner shaman. Some people (laughs) call it intuition. Um, So I'm going to answer your question from the first and second perspective, and maybe even the third. So (laughs) from a scientific perspective, you know, can we find the resonance of a person um, or a room? So let me start with a room. There is a formula to find the resonance of a room. Um, it's like buying a shelf at Ikea, height, depth, and width. 
right? Okay. So they go into all these ancient chambers and they can measure the resonance of the room and tell you what frequency it is. <laughs> wow. uh, it was very cool. So you think, wow, well, I don't quite buy that. Well, how do you think they're zapping your kidney stones when they use ultrasound? We use uh, frequency medicine, resonance medicine, all the time in hospitals. We just don't know what it is. But when you locate kidney stones and zap them, you're using that sound, you're using ultrasound. That's how we you know, look at fetuses in the womb. Um, so, uh, you, uh, x-rays, MRIs, all of that is resonance therapy. All of that is understanding, uh, how to measure and find the resonance. Uh, now I know, so that's sort of what is scientifically being done right now with that. But can you walk into a hospital and get a diagnosis of your frequency your resonance and correct it? No, that's not happening yet. But there is a practitioner who I have been to a number of times, Dr. Jeff Thompson in Carlsbad, and he does <laughs> measure and determine your frequency as a person. You lie down on the table, and uh, he... So I just need to say one thing here before I say this. Uh, we are not sophisticated enough to scientifically measure energy yet. Um, the way that those of us that work with sound measure what is happening with sound is by measuring the nervous system. So as we talk, you're going to see that's going to come up over and over and over again. Our metric is the nervous system. So you lie down and he... Um, uh, pokes you up to the sensors and he can watch your nervous system on the screen and he finds your frequency. Uh, I am an E note, E minus 17. That is the frequency that I resonate at. There's like a hundred units in between, like a note on a piano. Like I'm between the D note and the E note on the piano. <laughs> and um, yeah. Wow. So uh, it's very powerful therapy. So that's experimental. He has 30 years of uh, results. They are not published in a journal. So we have to call them experimental. Um, intuitively, now I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, when I do sound healing, I uh, use my voice and my inner GPS, <laughs> and I find the frequency or the resonance of the room or the person and sing it and help bring it into a consistent state of harmony. So that's sort of an overview of can I find someone's frequency? Wow. Fascinating. And I imagine also that we, you know, we also have different frequencies throughout the day, right? Because we take things in, you know, we do yoga maybe, or we wake up from a nap and, and things feel different. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's different <laughs> all day long and it's different every, like each of your, anywhere that there's a cavity in your body that has its own resonance and its own frequency. And in your brain, all of your different brain cavities have different 
frequencies, different resonances. So there's like forebrain, midbrain, backbrain, and then you have your two hemispheres, and then you have all different sections uh, within those hemispheres. It, it's all different frequencies. Wow. Fascinating. Um, Elizabeth, you are a, an expert, or I guess you're studying binaural beats in mm. your doctorate. Can you tell our audience what exactly are binaural beats? I, I have only um, spent a little bit of time experimenting with binaural beats, but things that I found online. So I'm just of you know a complete novice to to the uh, world of binaural beats um and also how it can affect the nervous system so i'd love for you to just share your your perspective on on these these topics sure thing i have spent probably 4 years now studying and researching binaural beats so i think i can answer that question <laughs> <laughs> what i have made it my mission to do is to bring scientific research to the field of sound and the area that i selected was binaural beats and so in order to do that i have learned everything I can about binaural beats. And then I've gone to the present time and picked the 26 most current clinical published peer-reviewed studies and put them together in a report and an analysis, which is my dissertation, uh, to be able to say to you, this is what we know binaural beats do, and this is what we don't know. So uh, that's the perspective that I'm going to be coming from. Um, I, and then, of course, I'm also a sound practitioner, so I have uh, anecdotal uh, evidence and my own intuitive uh, knowledge. Uh, so again, I'll be clear when I'm referring to what. Um, what is a binaural beat? So uh, a binaural beat, it's a signal that only exists in your head. You can't hear it anywhere else. It is only in your brain. So the only way that you can perceive it and hear the beats is to wear headphones. That's always the first thing I say. A lot of people play the binaural beats that they find on YouTube or on the apps, and they're like, oh, this is great. This is really helping me. You know, the music is really helping you because all music helps you. But unless you have headphones on, you're not hearing the binaural beats. Now, why is that? And it's also the reason why they're called binaural. It's a, it's a, a double pathway through the ears. So you create them by taking one frequency. So let's just say the frequency is 340 hertz. We know that's a really good frequency to hear. And then you detune that frequency, let's say by seven hertz, okay? So now you're gonna have 340 hertz in one ear and you're gonna send 347 hertz to the other ear. And that's why you have to have the headphones, right? You have to be able to hear two different signals. So here comes these signals in through your ears, which is not actually where you hear. The ears are just where you transduce the vibration. Transduce means to take a signal 
and to turn it into another form of information, right? It's, so you just got pure vibration out there. Your ears take the signal and they transduce it and it comes in to your brain stem. And then your brain stem sends it up the back of your ear head out into your auditory cortex on the side of your head, up like maybe just behind where your temples are. That's actually, if you put, take your fingers and put them up just behind your temples in your hair, that's where you're actually hearing, which I find wow. fascinating. So, right? <laughs> so in come these binaural beats and the brainstem has to do something about it. The brainstem says, wait a minute there's 340 hertz coming here and there's 347 hertz coming here, what do I do? So it has to regulate itself, right? It has to find some balance, some harmony, some information. What do I do with this signal? So it says, okay, you're now a signal of seven hertz. And that's the information that it sends up to the auditory cortex. So what happens next is really mysterious and really fascinating. That seven hertz signal all of a sudden begins to resonate inside your brain, which we measure with EEGs, electroencephalographs. EEGs, so remember I told you we can't measure the sound, we can only measure the nervous system? Mm EEGs are measuring the electrical activity in your brain. So with an EEG, you can see, holy cow, I sent a 7 hertz signal from outside into the brain, and now inside the brain (laughs) is a 7 hertz signal. Wow. Amazing. That's that's what's (laughs) happening. (laughs) That's what's happening. It's so cool. And so uh, let me give you another definition here. What is brainwave? A brainwave is an electrical impulse in the brain, okay? So we can put on that EEG cap and we can measure and we can say, oh, in your brain, we see an electrical impulse and it measures to be seven hertz or seven cycles per second. Now, here's where it gets even cooler, We've been able to identify, measure quantitatively these frequencies and correlate them to cognitive states. Wow. I'm going to stop there because I'm sure you have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I have so many, so many questions. I'm, um, yeah, I'm curious, you know, what types of cognitive states, um, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. how how can we, you know, now that we know, you know, what brainwaves are, how can we actually transform our brainwaves into the desired brainwaves? So mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. two different questions, but okay, curious, yeah. So um, right on, and and by the way, just to give you. Uh, sort of like some anchor points. I know sometimes without the visuals, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to grok (laughs) to understand (laughs) what this all means. But like, uh, for example, take your heart, right? Your heart, we, if you have a, a, a heartbeat of like 60 beats per minute, which is kind of a normal resting heart rate, your heart is basically one hertz. 
uh, sorry, 60 beats. Yeah, mm -hmm. basically one hertz, right? One pulse per second, one pulse per second. So your heart is pulsing one pulse per second, one pulse per second, one pulse per second. That's one hertz, okay? Okay. The brain is not much faster, right? It's not much faster. The lowest brain waves, the sleeping brain waves. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about five gears here, right? The lowest gear, first gear, is delta, and that is 0.5 hertz to four hertz. Those are slow waves. And then uh, if you move up a little bit to second gear, you have theta. That's four hertz to eight hertz. So now you're more awake, but you're deeply relaxed and you're in an inward fo focus state. So you can imagine this is very useful for meditative states, right? Mm. And then you move up to third gear is alpha, and that's eight to 12 hertz. And this is a very relaxed place of passive attention. And then if you move up even one more step, fourth gear, to beta, 12 to 35 hertz, that's more, that's your everyday state. It's more active. You're producing external attention and it can be anxiety dominant. Um, you perhaps heard the phrase beta burnout. Yep. It's, it's when you're stuck in work mode. <laughs> yes. You are stuck in work mode. <laughs> and, and you're like, ah, I need to calm down. <laughs> that's, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people who suffer from insomnia say that they just have, you know, their brain can't shut off and there's a lot of thoughts. And I imagine that they're just stuck in that uh, beta brain beta. Second beta. And I have so many questions about these brainwave states, Elizabeth, um, because I've read a little bit about theta and how um, this is maybe like a little bit of a separate question, but um, mm -hmm. I've heard that in theta brainwave, you can actually transform your subconscious mind in your hypothalamus. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm curious if, uh, if you know anything about that or if that's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and this is really why I wanted to uh, have as many ways of knowing at my disposal as possible, right? Because I think scientific knowing and intuitive knowing just give you a bigger picture when you put them together, right? The more ways of knowing, the more we can know. Right. So um, theta, let me start with that. The thing with theta is... Well, what do the studies say? It's the most studied brainwave, and we have so much information about it. And we have clinically demonstrated, uh, really without question at this point, that theta and alpha, and particularly theta and alpha mixed, are excellent for bringing you into a meditative state, meditative relaxed state. So now I need to say a couple things around that. One, the studies out there are very mixed. So a lot of people will say, well, I saw this write up from a scientist and it was a clinically published study and it didn't, and it showed that there were no results. So, you know, people do not always follow the protocols, okay? So this is really the bulk of my dissertation. What are those protocols? Why do binaural beats work and why don't they work? Why are we getting all these different results? So 
in order to really get results from a binaural beat, you need to understand a few things. One, it's not a magic pill, right? Like we're in the era a little bit of, oh, I'm just going to take this pill and everything will be better. Right. There are new magic pills. <laughs> there are just aren't. And um, but here's what binaural beats are. They're an excellent tool. Put them in your toolkit. They work beautifully with all your other tools. So a particularly effective way to use binaural beats is to have a progressive relaxation exercise. You do a minute of meditation before you use them. You either use your recorded meditations or you speak to yourself and explain to yourself that you are you know, sh shutting down now, you are lowering your gears, you're going to take a moment and do some deep internal restoration, then you turn on your binaural beat. And here's the second really important point. You need to listen for at least 10 minutes. Oh, at least okay. 10 minutes. 10 is the uh, really the uh, sort of threshold for uh, clinical uh, experiments when they start to see really good response. Um, and so 10, 15, I like 20 minutes, really, um, personally, intuitively, if I sit down and listen to something to meditate. So um, those are... Uh, really important, what do I want to say, qualifiers for, yes, this absolutely, when you introduce a theta uh, binaural beat to the brain, inside the brain, you will find a corresponding resonating theta binaural beat. That's real, but you have to know how to use it. Wow. So just summarizing here, give yourself a moment to relax, give yourself some instructions. I have a study that shows the exact same uh, theta alpha beat to two different control groups, only the control group with those instructions went into trance state. The other group did not. And then uh, the second piece is give yourself at least 10 minutes, uh, you know, I would say somewhere between 10 and 20 for your break. And then you absolutely can use them. And Elizabeth, where can people actually find uh, binaural beats? You know, the ones that mm -hmm. maybe are, but that you recommend. Right. So, I know there's a lot of really cool apps out there like Beatfulness, and um, I know you can find pretty much anything on YouTube. But the deal is that I can't research where those all come from, so I never use them. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, as much as I'm an intuitive girl, I'm also a science girl, and I want to know where'd you get your beats from? What's your research? So there are three companies that um, I use that I have um, checked their research. I have researched their research, and um, they've been around for 50 years, and uh, they're really doing it. The first one is called Holosync, H-O-L-O-S-Y-N-C, holosync.com. They have my favorite meditation suite. Uh, I literally, when I sit down with that one, I will feel my hemispheres synchronize. I will feel my point of focus and intention um, just like uh, zoom in with clarity in the center of my brain. Wow. And um, 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, highly, highly recommend that one. Uh, and by the way, that is, uh, to keep to my language, that is clinically and scientifically documented. I have two studies that show that the uh, brain hemispheres synchronize. So that is a true claim. Brain hemispheres do synchronize with binaural beats. And I think about that and I think, well, intuitively that makes sense too, right? Because you have two different signals coming in and your two hemispheres are like, well, I guess we have to talk to each other and figure <laughs> out what the heck to do about this. So it kind of makes sense that it does, but it is also clinically demonstrated. Um, so, uh, and I do want to get to I do want to get to the claims that people are making about binaural beats, and I do want to talk about the nervous system being mm -hmm. a rhythm. Um, but I'll just finish this thought first. Okay. Um, so the second company is uh, let's see, I said Holosync, Hemisync, H E M I dash S Y N C dot com. And um, that's also a 50-year-old company based on excellent research. They have a lot of different programs, a lot of nice music as well uh, to go with their beats. They're, these, these ones are also more sophisticated. Um, I'll make another point here that comes out of my conclusions <laughs> from my dissertation, and that is that uh, the brain remember we were talking about how there were all those different chambers there that resonate and have frequencies? Mm -hmm. Well, when you are in the meditative state, you're not just having one frequency. It's not like, oh, I'm in theta now and everything else is gone. There's a mix of frequencies happening, right? So the more sophisticated we get, you're going to see more mixed frequencies coming in to actually describe the state of the brain. And in my clinical studies, it shows that the mixed frequencies are actually the most effective. So wow. that is being borne out by the research. Uh, then the third company that I really like, um, iAwake. I, like iPhone, awake.com. Okay. And... Um, they also have a number of really terrific programming, and they have a lot of electronica as well with their programming. So that's three companies that I recommend, and between the three of them, it's an enormous menu. Wow. Okay. Wonderful. I just took notes myself. I'll, I will check them out after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Um, yeah. And so I know that we wanted to talk about some of the earlier um, questions on the, uh, the how the brain waves affect the nervous system or how the binaural beats affect the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we could talk about that before we move on. I have so many more questions. I'm just cool. <laughs> jumping out of my chair. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you ask great questions. That, uh, that's that much I've learned about you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so the reason, so why does it work, right? Why, why does sending, so we've kind of established that you can send a seven hertz frequency to the brain and the brain uh, will produce, will resonate that seven hertz frequency and that there are these correlative cognitive states that happen, right? But why, why does that work? And the reason that that works is because your nervous system is a rhythm. Your nervous system is an electrical rhythm. I'm just letting that sink in there. We are electrical. 
our, that is how our neural activity uh, happens. It's how our nerves communicate with electricity. So you, I, we are an electrical being. And as electrical beings, we have rhythms. So remember I talked about how that heartbeat made a pulse? Boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. Okay, each of those pulses it's like a little discharge, right? It builds up its energy and it discharges it and it releases it, poof, right? Like a pump, if you can picture like a pump coming up and down, there's this charge and discharge. Okay, so let's just go, let's zoom in, telescope into your heart and find one little pacemaker neuron, one little neural cell. (laughs) And that little cell starts beating and starts doing its pulse, okay? Okay. Now, what about the cell next to it? Well, that little cell next to it, it has to sync up with that first cell. They have to make the same pulse. They have to make the same beat. And um, there's a term for that. Remember we said oscillation was a a rhythm, oscillation? Mm -hmm. This is called coupled oscillation. And we started to learn and understand about that by studying pendulums. That's where that discovery came in. Why do pendulums synchronize? Okay. So your little heart cells, they're synchronizing and they're, they're beating together. Why is that important? It is important because all of those little cells, pacemaker cells in your heart, set your heartbeat, set your pulse. And they have to stay together in one beat. If they didn't, we would immediately die. So that is the rhythm. That is the basic rhythm. That is the sun in your solar system. That is the drum in your band, in your rock Mm. band, (laughs) that sets the pulse, that sets the electrical rhythm of your body. And you have many other rhythms. Your endocrine system is a rhythm. Your cardiovascular system is a rhythm. Your uh, everything is a rhythm, and they all have to work together. The term heart math uses for that is coherence. Coherence means my orchestra is well tuned, and all the players are playing together. We have good communication. We have efficient communication. Everybody's working in harmony. We have beautiful music. Okay, so now I'm going to go back and say, why do that? Why does that seven hertz binaural beat make a difference or really any sound? Right. Because it sets a rhythm. It sets an oscillation. You're starting to get Mm, it now. Yes. Yes. It sets an oscillation and your nervous system goes, oh, and it resonates to that oscillation and it generates that oscillation internally. So the healing potential here is astronomical. It's non-invasive. There are no side effects. And you can really, we have, so let me give you a summary. So, okay, so I'm saying, all right, the nervous system is a rhythm. And I'm saying, okay, these binaural beats here are rhythms. Um, What, you know, what could they possibly impact? So here's what we don't know. We don't know what happens to the binaural beat in between the brain stem, where the signal first comes in from the ear cavity, and the auditory cortex up in the brain. We don't know exactly what happens there. We have a working hypothesis. And that working hypothesis 
is that that binaural beat affects a bundle of nerves in your brainstem called the reticular activating system. And the reticular activating system is responsible. Those nerves, remember, it's a nerve, so it's a rhythm. It's a neural rhythm is responsible for modulating your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So the theory is that these beats come in and hit that neural network. And you know where that neural network projects to? To the hypothalamus, to the thalamus, and directly to the cortex. So you say, oh, that's interesting. Well, if it is hypothesized to affect the hypothalamus, the thalamus, and the cortex, what impact would we expect binaural beats to have, right? Because the hypothalamus regulates, guess what? The endocrine system, the pituitary gland, your metabolic processes, your body temperature, your hunger, your sleep, your circadian rhythms. And what does the autonomic nervous system regulate? Because that's what the hypothalamus regulates. <laughs> your heart rate, your digestion, your respiratory rate, your pupil response, your sexual arousal, your fight or flight response. Well, guess what? If you look at the clinical evidence of what binaural beats actually impact, you will find that they impact your sleep. I have four studies that show that. And this is just from the 26 studies in the last five years, not counting all the other studies before it. I have two uh, studies that show that it uh, lessens anxiety. Uh, another study that documents stress reduction, uh, several on brain function, uh, four here on attention and cognition, your ability to focus. Can you imagine the applications for that, for like ADHD or autism? Um, your memory, I have four studies here that show that it affects your memory, uh, your nervous system itself, I have a study for that. Trance and meditation, three studies. And get this one, pain reduction. I have two studies that show that it um, reduces your perception of pain. So how about that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it seems like there's a, a lot of use cases and a lot of applications for binaural beats. I, I'm also curious, and I think maybe other people would have this question. Um, have you seen, are there any interesting stories about healing um, on, like at the disease level, at the chronic illness level? Like, um, or, you know, because I know you mentioned that that it impacts like things like the nervous system, which obviously implicates, you know, uh, disease in the body and that sort of thing. So, um, and other systems like the endocrine system, but I'm just curious if there's any studies, uh, on sound, um, healing impacting any chronic illnesses or diseases. It is my profound hope that someone will listen to this and do that study. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the field is not there yet. The field is just at the place where it's starting to sort out what do binaural beats affect and um, and how can we uh, regularly with confidence produce those effects. So that's where the field is right now. However, I will refer you to a book, a fabulous book, okay. called The Power of Music by Elena Manns, M-A-N-N-E-S, in which she documented all of the clinical uses of sound currently in use in hospitals across the United States. 
So, um, yes. So although you will not see binaural beats in here, you will see what has made it into the hospitals. Um, so there are kind of two fields. There's music therapy and sound healing, which is newer. Music therapy is older and music therapy deals more with, you know, whole songs and just the power of music, uh, literally the title of this book, The Power of Music As It Is. And so that has already, typically what happens is the nursing field will pick up the research, bring it into the hospitals and start using it with their patients. And um, so like my research, it all comes from three fields. It comes from uh, neuroscience, and uh, psychology, and those are the two fields that have developed the methodologies for studying binaural beats. And then my third field is health, right? And so the health field is just starting to say, hey, wait a minute, we're going to bring all these great experiments and methodologies in and see what we can actually impact. So I've seen studies on tinnitus, for example. I've seen studies on um, eye movement to be able to help uh, with people who have like, um, uh, what's that one where you can't focus your eyes directly forward. Um, I've seen studies that uh, uh, deal with um, chronic pain. I've seen studies that deal with anxiety in dentistry. That's sort of, that's as far as we've gotten. Um, but so in the power of music, you'll see, oh, they're using music to help uh, rehabilitate stroke patients. They're using music to uh, uh, get the heartbeats of newborn infants to stabilize in NICU. Um, so really anything you can think of that has to do with rhythm and pacing. So again, think about that nervous system. So think about the heart, think about the lungs, think about the ability to coordinate and move. Those things are being used currently in hospitals, and that's a really good book for exploring it. Um, another book that I love on a similar topic is... Um, this is from a neuroscientist, a very readable neuroscientist, uh, Daniel Levitin, L-E-V-I-T-I-N, and it's called This Is Your Brain on Music. And he uh, also is an excellent bridge to understand uh, how music is being used now therapeutic therapeutically in hospital. Um, so I know there are people out there that are beginning to work on these other incredible avenues. I already mentioned Dr. Jeffrey Thompson. Um, I He was in that recent um, documentary, that movie, was it Heal? It, there was an amazing movie that just came out. Uh, I think it might've been called Heal or The Power to Heal. And they did a beautiful segment on him. And um, he did talk about some of the uh, chronically ill patients that he treats. So some people are there. I know of another practitioner who deals with uh, Vietnam vets post uh, that have post-traumatic stress disorder and all of the illnesses that come from that. Uh, and... Um, so between those two, they both have about 30 years of experience, and I sincerely hope they start publishing, and it'll build from there. I guess the only other thing that I would add to that um, is that—and this goes back to what I do in my practice—stress so it, it, is, is the number one killer, 
Right. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that you can use sound and binaural beats prophylactically to manage your stress and manage the natural rhythms of your life, you are staving off many of those chronic illnesses that you just mentioned. Not all of them, some are genetic, you know, some you, some you just come with, you know, so like, for example, if I uh, jumped off the dock and broke a leg, I wouldn't go listen to my binaural beats. <laughs> I would go to a surgeon, you know, there's, but you know, there's, what I would say is essentially if the nervous system is involved and if the rhythms of your body are involved, you can absolutely put sound in your healing protocol and Better yet, to use it prophylactically to manage your stress and to not activate those genes. Are, have you done some interviews on the field of epigenetics? Not yet, but that's definitely on the list. Okay. Yeah. So that basically says that our genes are not our destiny, that we are in control of what genes, of what DNA we turn on. So if you are managing your stress, you can very easily not manifest something. So I would say that's really where this field is right now. It's prophylactic. It's about managing stress, about a a holistic approach to wellness. And as I said to you first, uh, I dearly hope that that other research uh, begins and very quickly because uh, I'm seeing a lot of studies out there and the ability of sound to provide non-invasive healing is dramatic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I sincerely hope that, uh, that more studies come out and, um, you know, prove the, the healing power of sound. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also curious, Elizabeth, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your interest in studying this field and why you think this subject is important? Um, I know, you know, we had mentioned earlier that uh, you were partially deaf growing up, and I'm just would love to hear more about your journey and your, um, you know, your journey towards studying this field and why you think it's important. Oh, thanks! Another great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm half deaf, um, and uh, I didn't know it. And one day when I was 19 years old. I developed a very loud tinnitus and um, went to the doctor and was told that uh, it was because of my deafness. And I said, that's really funny, but I'm not deaf. That's a really (laughs) funny joke there, doctor. And he showed me my hearing test and I actually was. So (laughs) all those years of of thinking I was really just very spaced out and aloof, um, (laughs) I I was clueless for a different reason. Um, I was not following auditory cues. And so much of our society, and especially in our learning establishments, is auditory. So... um, Yes, I remember putting my hearing aids in for the first time when I was 19 and just collapsing on the floor of my apartment because uh, all of a sudden I heard all the pipes, the water in the walls. Wow. I didn't know that water made a sound. It's in the middle frequency that I don't hear. And there was rain outside on the leaves and I had never really heard rain before. And um, so it was an overwhelming, uh, uh, like an overstimulation 
of information. And um, yeah, so that was the beginning of my uh, journey with sound started right there. And I was writing an essay for school. I went to Boston College and I was writing an essay trying to unite the East and the West. Another reason why I love your uh, podcast, Yasmin. <laughs> you bring in all the perspectives and I wanted to do that. And I was concentrating so hard that my brain exploded into the tinnitus. I will never understand why exactly that happened, but somehow it's all related. And so I was launched off onto a lifetime of studying sound, studying consciousness, studying, you know, uh, the East and the West and the beliefs that hold us together and separate us. All of this bringing together, which I think maybe that's why I ended up with binaural beats, you know, synchronizing the hemispheres. I've always been looking for ways to bring us together. And um, if there was ever a, a definition you could give to sound, it would be the thing that unites us all. Wow. <laughs> right? right? Right. Yeah, that's, um, that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. That neuroscientist that I mentioned, Daniel Levitin, his hypothesis is that the evolutionary purpose of music was to keep us united and together. Think about it. Every ritual, every ceremony, be it religious, be it educational, be it tribal, it has a musical component. The music bonds us. That rhythm unites us. And so um, I think, uh, shamanically speaking, you could say that that was just my sign <laughs> that uh, sound was my path. And I, that's the way that I was going to go in towards studying this larger, the healing power of unity, of wholeness. Mm. Beautiful, Elizabeth. <laughs> giving me chills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <thanks>. uh, resonance. <laughs> yes, yeah. <That's> we, resonance. <laughs> we we need we need that more than ever this year uh, with this pandemic. So I yeah, I think that this is a very powerful message um, mm -hmm. about uniting mm -hmm. everyone. Um, so mm -hmm. last couple uh, questions. Um, I feel like I could talk to you all day. There's just so many questions. I know. <laughs> I'm loving this. <laughs> uh, um, so. I have to ask, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? <laughs> <laughs> so it's such a good question, right? It is. And that, that, that one's going to take us out of this atmosphere. <laughs> um, so uh, again, this teaching is from neuroscientist Daniel Levitin. Uh, and the answer is no. The answer mm. is no. Um, sound does not exist except for in the brain of the listener. Mm. When a tree falls, it does generate something, right? It generates vibrations. And those vibrations are just information. They're not anything yet. And our skull, which is the most efficient design for absorbing auditory signals immediately and figuring out what to do about them. By the way, binaural beats are processed in the same place that our ability to locate objects with sound is in the brain, which I find fascinating. That, that ability to locate sound was necessary for our survival. So if that tree falls, we needed to interpret those vibrations and understand what we needed to do about them. In the brain, the first center that lights up is the auditory cortex. The next center that 
lights up is the motor cortex. So what that means is you hear a sound and you motor, <laughs> you move <laughs> out of the way when that tree is falling. <laughs> but it's just information. Sound is in our head. So you start to imagine, wow, all the different species on this planet and maybe all the different species out in space interpret vibrations differently. What might the world look like for a dolphin or a whale? And we know that everybody has very different hearing ranges. We have a small hearing range, uh, just from 20 to 20,000 hertz. Remember, we were talking about human brain waves down, like uh, gamma is kind of the highest one we study, which is like 35 hertz, up to 100. And then we hear all the way up to 20,000 hertz. But a fox or a dog, they hear way higher. And then let's talk about light vibrations. You can't even put them on the same scale. They're like 10 to the 15 times something, something, <laughs> something. They're so fast, right? But all of these vibrations, like color doesn't exist either. That is just us interpreting those vibrations to kind of differentiate and create a depth perspective so we understand how to move through our environment. If this topic is curious to you, I highly recommend David Eagleman. He oh. has a book <laughs> called The Brain, and he has an amazing, like a six-part series that you can watch. It might have been a PBS series uh, in which he will take you through the extraordinary illusion that is our world around us. And my little corner of studying that is the ear and sound. Amazing. David Eagleman is actually a friend, so I will tell him. <laughs> I will tell oh. him that, <laughs> that maybe... Tell him he has a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, definitely. And maybe I'll have him on the show. Uh, you just gave me a good yes. idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Amazing. Um, thank you so much. I have one or two more questions left. Uh, uh -huh. Elizabeth, what do you kind of want to tell our listeners about their health and wellness in relationship to sound and sound healing? What's sort of your main takeaway? If you could, if you could, you know, tell the audience any one thing as a takeaway, what would it be? I think that sound is an excellent tool in your toolkit. And what is that toolkit? Uh, that toolkit is your ability to respond to the stressors of your life in a positive way. Stress creates an enormous amount of the illness and the disease that we experience. Stress comes from not being in coherence, from not having a natural rhythm that is healthy for us. And what does that mean? Um, we have sped up to a level that is not sustainable for the human nervous system. And we're going to have to learn how to regulate ourselves. So technology, machines, computers, they can move at an extraordinary speed. We can't. Mm. Uh -huh. And so we're going to have to find a healthy regulation and interface. So how do you do that? You go back into nature. Go back into nature. Go outside. Uh, 
nature, the Schumann resonance, the Schumann frequency, 7.83 hertz. Nature resonates at 7.83 hertz. Well, guess what else is 7.7 hertz? That's theta. You go into nature, you are automatically resonating to a meditative state. It is a rhythm that is healthy for you. So it's not like, oh, I have to be in nature and see a bug and a bird. And what am I doing here? No, you have to just be there. <laughs> just walk. <laughs> when you walk, you resynchronize re your brain hemispheres. And so the main thing there is how does, how does sound fit into all of that? Sound can be part of really anything. It can be a playlist of nature sounds that you play on your computer? What if you can't get outside? What if you uh, work at a, a desk eight, nine, 10 hours a day? Well, play the nature sounds there. Have a, a little alarm. There are um, apps, like an app I'm thinking called White Noise, that has incredible nature sounds, and you can program it to once an hour go off and remind you to get up and take a little walk and listen to something in a frequency that brings you back to uh, a natural rhythm. So, um, you know, be creative, make playlists, have your playlist that you listen to for lunch, have your playlist that you work out to. You're already doing it. I'm just calling your awareness to what you're already doing. And you can use sound to uh, continually bring yourself back to that natural rhythm. And then you do that, you uh, keep your stress levels down. And when you do that, you keep yourself healthy. So that would be my main message. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so fascinating how the human nervous system cannot tolerate this level of connection to technology all the time. I, I think that's so beautifully uh, said and poignant. <laughs> Uh, right, yeah, for all of us, uh, right, <laughs> me included. <laughs> wow, um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for such an enlightening discussion. I, I feel like I learned so much, and I have so many more questions. I, I'm going to be uh, checking Holosync, uh, HemiSync, and iWake right after this call, so I can try the binaural, binaural beats and uh, for ten minutes at minimum. <laughs> So uh, Elizabeth, this has been such a great conversation. Where can people find you if they want more information? And you know, now that we're in a space where you can do remote healing, is that something that you offer? Uh, well, maybe not because because maybe you have to be there with with the sound healing uh, equipment. But but yeah, where can people find you and learn more about your work and and follow you? Well, uh, I my website is sound-medicine.com. And I, in March, stopped seeing people in person, uh, but I now see people over the phone. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, been an opportunity to expand my practice and return to my roots. I'm also a trained intuitive and an intuitive counselor. So I now work over the phone and as an intuitive counselor, and the sound component is the singing I still sing over people over the phone and um, offer, uh, I can do the uh, consultations, the heart math consultations, if someone has their own heart math software. So those are the three things that I offer now. Obviously, I'm not putting people on my sound bed <laughs> and doing all of those things uh, in my office that I used to do. But um, like everyone else, I expanded and... 
have really been delighted with the new avenues that have opened up as a result of this. Wonderful. Amazing, Elizabeth. Thank you so much again for your time. <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening is probably going to reach out to you very soon. <laughs> well, I look forward to singing over you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can call me up and I'll sing over you too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious what my tone is. I think that uh, that in itself is a, is a fascinating question and um, yeah, so many, I feel like I have so many pieces of wisdom that I got from this conversation. So I'm really excited to integrate them into my practice. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, um, again, and for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening in this episode. We learned about how binaural beats and the power of sound affect the brain and the nervous system. You can tune in to gateways to awakening where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Thanks again.